Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uptana, and today we'll be looking at the practical reasons our soul chooses the family we'll be born into, and how that is just the beginning of our embodied journey. Coming into an embodied life is somewhat like planning a NASA mission to the International Space Station, albeit far more complex. Free will means we have only a certain amount of control over how things will go. On top of this, our need to focus on embodied life, therefore temporarily forget our true nature, means we're ostensibly flying blind once we launch. We therefore plan extensively for what we want to have happen, for every possible alternative, improbable incident, and impossible coincidence which may occur. All the while knowing we are unable to foresee the consequences of our own choices in the moment, let alone all the consequences of everyone else who is making choices which might affect us, and so on, and so on. This is, in part, why embodied life is so hard and frustrating, yet capable of handing us happy surprises, synchronicities, and miracles. The mix of preparation and chaos, goals achieved, detours taken, and new paths forged make embodied life a heady place full of possibilities. A major component of the embodied life planning process is choosing a family to be born into. Most people, when thinking about their family of origin, focus primarily on relationships and behaviors. Good, bad, or indifferent, how we interact with our family or don't in childhood is a huge factor in who we become. However, prior to and beyond behavioral considerations, souls have decisions to make concerning the physical aspect of being physical. The family we're born to provides us the body we will navigate embodiment with. If, for a moment, we consider a body as similar to a car, then our biological parents will be designing and constructing the car we'll drive for the next 60 to 90 plus years. Like a car, different bodies come with different option packages and possibilities beyond the standard features. Some are built for additional speed and agility, others for skilled emotional processing, some hold and work with large amounts of energy, others easily focus on the details, and so on. In preparing for an embodied life, it's important to set up the right car with the necessary features. We therefore select parents who, when their DNA is combined, have the highest probability of creating the desired body for us. Our family also provides us with ethnicity and socioeconomic status. What we do with these things as we enter into the adult phase of our life is up to us. However, a significant part of our identities in an embodied life are formed through our experiences of ourselves in and with community, as well as being excluded from it. Ethnicity gives us a legacy of culture which can be hundreds to thousands of years old, Therefore, a mix of good, bad, and ugly, which we are challenged or encouraged to incorporate. Our experience of how the world works will be informed in part by this, as well as the level of ease our family, individually and as a whole, has in navigating it. 
Families provide us the means for our souls to seek completely into the body, for us to become acclimated to embodied life, to become fluent in navigating not only physicality, but emotionality, the restrictions of embodied communication, and social interactions, while at the same time setting the framework for us to enter into the bigger world as an adult. This is not to imply they do so exceptionally well, that everything is implemented flawlessly, or even marginally correctly. However, for better or worse, our family does all these things for us, and if they do not, then we are set on a course to rectify the matter on our own. What can be confusing for people in all this is the notion we, as a soul, choose the perfect family. Perfect, in this situation, is defined as the nicest, easiest, best family we can devise, which will be the most pleasant and joyous, welcoming, giving, and happy. We somehow come to understand they're meant to follow through on every single thing in our soul contract, as if they're robots rather than human beings who are making it up as they go along. If you compare most families against this Disney-fied, animatronic version of what a family should be, not all, but most, will seem as if something went wildly wrong in the process. If it were possible, a large number of people would look at their family, pick them all up, put them back in the box, and haul them to the return counter for their money back, because what they got is not what they wanted at all. However, most souls don't choose a Disney-fied family. They select people and situations which will provide them the necessary skills, experiences, and motivations to prepare them to succeed in the goals they set for the life ahead. This is not to say what any one of us experienced was predetermined, appropriate, or even healthy. Like any NASA launch, pre-planning does not prevent mishap or misadventure. Parents, siblings, and other family members have free will too. They can choose to act on a thought or feeling when they shouldn't, refuse to act when they should, relinquish their responsibility leaving us unprotected or forced into responsibility beyond our maturity or capability, and so on. Families are made of souls, living an embodied experience, which does not in any way imply they are doing it well, striving for the best and highest good of anyone or anything, or succeeding in what they came to achieve. Or they could be doing all of these things and more. In fact, they could be both failing and succeeding in a whole host of things throughout the week or even a day. Such is the gift and curse of embodied life. Now, while each life is unique, and so has its own dynamics, choices of family can actually be grouped into a few general categories. One is DNA donor. Sometimes the best body a soul can have, one which is optimal for the life, will come from a combination of adults who would not be satisfactory in providing the child with their desired upbringing. So the soul agrees to be born to people knowing the family who will ultimately parent them will be alternative in some way. Some choose parents who they know will immediately go through the process of giving them up for adoption in some manner, so they can be raised by others. Some choose parents who don't intend to stay together for a variety of reasons, or who were never really together to begin with. In all these cases, the soul gets the DNA, lineage, 
skills, temperament, and ethnicity they desire, all without an upbringing or family situation they don't. Souls know in choosing this type of life, they may and probably will have to work through feelings of abandonment, of something being missing, feeling alien or misplaced, feeling like an outsider, or having a missing parental figure if they are raised by a single parent. Rather than considering these as a compromise, such matters are factored in as features in this type of life and utilized as a portion of the individual's core identity. These feelings may be used as a means to learn specific soul lessons, or to drive a person towards a certain career or goal, to cultivate a certain type of empathy or personality, or even set up a type of future relationship choice which is meant to help bring in the next generation of souls in a certain manner. Another category of family is soul groups. Souls who are learning lessons often embody with their soul group, and it's not uncommon for this to be set up as several generations of family. Grandparents bring in parents, who then bring in the children, who then bring in grandchildren, and so on. Most large groups do up to four generations, and then, when everybody has returned to the Akashics, the planning begins for another round of embodiment. This allows for everyone to take on roles and experiences they need to work with, while at the same time supporting others in the group in their roles and experiences. Everyone gets to focus on their learning and, in the process, help others to learn. These types of group embodiments can be a pleasant experience where everyone gets along, is emotionally healthy, supports one another in their aspirations, and everyone's life is good. They can also be a hot mess, where the entire family is alcoholic, dysfunctional, pushing every button, and making a hash of things. Not all lessons are best learned through pleasant experiences. Sometimes, and often, we learn best when things are difficult. I liken this to learning about hot. For most people, one burn from a match held too long, one touch of the oven, one momentary encounter with a stove turned on is enough to learn what hot truly means, and we quickly adjust our behaviors accordingly. Families populated with soul group members mean individuals will feel very connected to their family, have ease in communication, and feel as if being with their family is somewhat like entering a different world. Like with DNA donor situations, this is a feature the soul is aware of and incorporates into their plan for the embodied life. Eventually, souls start using the category of learning lessons. Sometimes a component of a soul's embodied life plan requires they work solo or without their soul group. This can be due to the need for focus on a lesson they're struggling with and need to repeat in a concentrated manner, to work with other soul groups which have requested their expertise or insights to achieve a goal, or to explore a facet of embodied life not interesting to the rest of their soul siblings. This doesn't prevent a feeling of deep connection with a family of origin, but it makes it less likely and usually means the connection will more often be with one member of the family rather than the entire group. It's not uncommon in these lives to have a parent or a sibling be a major feature of a lesson being learned. Struggles with one parent or another can be about developing empowerment, somewhat like lifting weights or doing resistance exercise develops muscles. Parents can be amazing examples of what in life to strive for or against. Siblings can be a means to direct us into forming new connections, 
can be examples of the path not taken or help us achieve a new level of emotional maturity and flexibility. Then there is the category of family considered in service. One of the most seemingly contradictory family choices is made by those who come to be in service. Embodied life on this planet is an educational process. It is meant to be highly experiential and to teach lessons about love and fear, which help souls develop in ways Akashic life cannot. Like all educational spaces, one does not throw the students into it and just hope they come out with the necessary education. Not only is there a need for teachers, but maintenance crews and support staff as well. While some of this work can be done cross-dimensionally, most needs to be done with boots on the ground. This means mature souls embody not necessarily to learn lessons, but to provide service to those who are. Embodied life is experiential, so everyone will learn as they go along. Good luck trying to avoid that. However, the point of service lives isn't to learn, but to live fully, both a personal life of becoming and in service so that others might become. This additional focus on both and, both a personal life and a focus on others, creates a need for a particular type of childhood. Embodied life on this planet is hard. A feature of the physical body, including the pre-programming in the brain, is for personal survival. This is a good thing, as we are fragile and have to navigate our physical needs. Add to this, we're social beings, which need to be interconnected, and it can take all our resources just to get through living. Our natural inclination, therefore, is self-preservation, self-care, and even selfishness, while the soul is attempting to direct us to move beyond these things. Without something added into the mix, we struggle to achieve more beyond our small circle of family, friends, and acquaintances, except in extraordinary circumstances, such as natural disasters or large-scale tragedies. The added ingredient which moves us from competent individuals into soul-driven service providers, beyond the passion or calling our soul provides, is a difficult family. Difficult situations within a family, whether this means being excluded, being abused, or surviving dysfunction in all its multi-hued varieties, provides us the impetus not only to heal ourselves, but the empathy to want to help others do the same. Like cracking the shell of a nut, it allows us to open ourselves in a deep and meaningful way, so we seek to do more than just survive or thrive personally. We extend ourselves to others, connecting with the wisdom of our soul, with the skills we've learned from previous incarnations, with our aptitudes provided through our soul work outside of embodiment, and spin all this straw into the gold of service. This doesn't make the upbringing any easier, more pleasant, or more appealing. And it certainly doesn't mean we should turn a blind eye to negative situations, behaviors, or consequences. Having come to live a service life does not give our families a pass, but it can help put things in perspective. If a service person has been attempting to figure out what they are meant to learn from a relationship and finding nothing, it's more than likely there's nothing of that nature to find. There often is no inherent lesson, but instead a function, which, having achieved adulthood, is probably long since completed. 
Now, these are just the broad strokes of why we choose the family we do. There's a great deal more involved than I can delve into in one podcast. And like any NASA mission, even though a huge amount of time and effort goes into planning, constructing, and preparing everything and everyone, the millisecond that rocket launches, all bets are off. Anything can and will happen along the way, and it's up to the astronauts to navigate through the experiences moment by moment. Although, unlike a trip to space where it's a handful of people against a vast cosmos, embodied life is astronauts interacting with millions of other astronauts, all with their own missions which may or may not intersect with or affect our mission along the way. In the end, it's how we navigate through it all that matters. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be digging into the reality that what we value and how we value not only indicates who we are in the world, but also are a direct reflection of how we value ourselves, or don't. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.